Um, SEN's, SENWA's Mark Duffield joins us. We're going to talk a bit of footy uh, because the footy season is fast approaching. G'day, Mark. How are you? Hi, guys. How are you going? Going well, thank you. Uh, this is something that uh, I thought was really interesting, a, a report regarding Fremantle keeping an interest or a close eye on Luke Beveridge. What, what can you tell us about this story? Yes, they keep an interest. They are living on the same continent (laughs) in different states with two coaches who both have contracts. But anyway, um, I would have thought that one's fairly fact-free. Okay. uh, um, Where did it it come from? Because I think the the reason why it kind of pricked my interest a, a little bit was the fact that there are these these links with the Western Bulldogs and Fremantle through um, Simon Garlick, Bob Murphy, etc. So that, that, I think that's why it probably sort of gets a few people interested. But where, where would something like that come from? Oh, I think the West has a model now where it's very important to get attention. Um, look, as, as you guys would know, uh, footy clubs who have a coach nearing the end of a contract will do due diligence and... That means basically sounding out probably not just one, but two or three prospective coaches who there is a possibility may be available later in the year and finding out their interests and finding out what their movements are and finding out whether they're close to re-signing, whether they think they're under threat, those sort of things. I know that's happened um, with the WA clubs before. Um, I think there's a chance that that's happened here, but... Um, I wouldn't be betting on Luke Beveridge suiting up as the coach of Fremantle next year. I know, and if Fremantle was doing due, due diligence and uh, sounding out two or three coaches, as I say, I wouldn't have thought Beveridge was the only one. I wouldn't have thought he would have been the first one. No. They were, um, you know, given Luke's got a, a V12 midfield and, you know, has he gotten results that reflect the V12 midfield. I'm not sure that he has. So I think Luke's got a bit of proving to do. I'm sure if Justin Longmuir put any credence on that report, which I don't think he did, um, he would go to the Fremantle board and say, well, you give me Bonson, Pally, McRae, Libertore, Trelaw, and a fit Bailey Smith, and then put Jamara, Eugle Hagen, and, uh, and Aaron Norton ahead of the ball over here, and I'll give you a finals berth. Um, so... Yeah, I didn't. I read it. It was written by the sports editor, which you know may indicate they couldn't get a sports writer, a football writer, to actually write it. Um, and I didn't put too much stock in it. Right. Okay. You've just won a few contested possessions there in that uh, response, Mark. I, I just because <laughs> I, I think it is interesting. I, I, I'm just for the record. I, I I'm a bit like you. I think there would be more pressure, or as much pressure pressure on Luke Beveridge at the Bulldogs this year as there would be on Justin Longmuir at Fremantle. Um, Fremantle had a poor season last year, but they were trending in the right direction until last season. What do you think went wrong? And do you think whatever went wrong last year can be quickly rectified by Justin Longmuir going into this year? Well, I think with the departures, I think they got too small and too young, too quickly. I think they made a list management error with Blake Akers, um, you know, a mature, big-bodied midfielder, um, to me, the thing that jumped off the page, and this was both statistically and just the eye test of watching them play, is that in the early part of the season when they slumped two and five, 
they were giving up possession of the ball at centre clearances for no good reason. Like often the ball, for all intents and purposes, would look like it was going to leave the centre square in Fremantle's hands and someone would not buffer the pressure well, someone would fumble, someone would not be clean with their hands and then suddenly the ball was going the other way for no good reason. I think it happens way too often in the early going and I think the clearance numbers against teams like St Kilda and North Melbourne when they dropped games we thought they would win reflected that. Um, And those two losses really um, were the ones that really set them back on their heels and rocked their confidence and it took them a long time to recover from. Uh, I think they could have retained Blake Akers um, very economically. Um, He went and had a very good season with Carlton. Now Blake Akers isn't Dustin Martin or anything like that but he's He's a great athlete, he's a great runner, he's a big, strong body, and they lacked big, strong bodies. David Mundy was gone, Nathan Fife was injured. Um, Jager O'Meara, I think, was brought in to the structure thinking that he would be some form of replacement for Mundy. And what he actually did was he usurped Will Brody in the structure, who was one of the big-bodied midfielders who was in there. And so they lost David Mundy, they lost size, they lost experience and they lost poise in there. And I think that um, all those things added up to a very slow start that they never really recovered from. If you look at their footy in the back half of the year, they, they played some reasonably good footy in the back half of the year, but they were always making up ground. And they're also probably, from the halfway point of the year on, looking at long-term solutions as well as short-term ones. So Matt Johnson was playing a lot. Um, inside the centre square. Now, he was a second-year mid. Um, Neil Erasmus got game time inside the centre square. Again, another second-year mid. And there was actually a... There was a critical moment in the game, ironically, against the Western Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium late in the season. And the loser of that game was all but going to be eliminated from finals reckoning. And Fremantle hit the front in the last quarter. And then at the next set of stoppages... Um, Brayshaw was tired, had to go off. Sarong was tired, had to go off. Darcy was tired and had to go off. Jackson was sore that day, so he wasn't rucking. He was just playing as a forward. And they ended up with Josh Tracy, Neil Erasmus, Matt Johnson, and I think it might have been Jaeger O'Meara, in the centre square against Tim English, Marcus Bontempelli, Tom Libertore, and I think it might have been Adam Trelaw. And... The Bulldogs kicked four goals in about five minutes and that was basically Fremantle season gone. So they they got games into those kids, but at some point they were going to pay a price for having too many of them inside the centre square against a really good midfield. Um, that is what happens. Um, look, I think they're a reasonable chance to rebound. I, I think their list is reasonably well placed in the longer term, but make no mistake, I mean, if Justin Longmuir isn't either in finals at the end of the season or has a very good reason for not being in finals, i.e. injuries or losing five or six close games and not winning any, then I think Justin Longmuir is in a, in a world of hurt um, because he's out of contract and, you know, five seasons for one finals, Perth isn't going to cut it. Um, but having said that, I, just, I don't think there's a pre-season push from the board to go and get Luke Beveridge before they've even played a game. Well, I think you've covered that off really nicely uh, on the Luke Beveridge side of things, Mark. Let's head across to the Eagles and uh, their growth from rock bottom. Um, one of the stories coming out is Jack Darling's spot in the forward line is under threat. What's your take on that? 
Yeah, well, I wrote that story um, for Code um, today. Yes. Um, and I think Jack, I've always been a Jack fan, and I think Jack's been unfairly criticised by West Coast fans for a long time now. They use him as a whipping boy when they don't play well because, you know, he's he's been riding shotgun for most of his career alongside Josh Kennedy. And, of course, most forwards suffer by comparison with Josh Kennedy. But there's only two blokes who've played more games for West Coast than Jack Darling, and that's Shannon Hearn and Dean Cox. And they've only, there's only two blokes that have kicked more goals for West Coast than uh, Jack Darling, and, and they would be Josh Kennedy and Peter Sumich. But what's happened with their list this year is that because they've gone and got Matthew Flynn and the intention at this stage is that he will lead the ruck, it means that Bailey Williams, the youngster who showed a bit leading the ruck last year, will play as a forward ruck and that's the role they think he's best suited to and that changes how they structure up. You know, suddenly there will be tall marking targets ahead of the ball. There'll be two of them and then they've got Jake Waterman who, from all reports at West Coast, is the standout on the track and he plays very well as a third forward that's never quite been able to threaten Darling as the second forward. Um, but the role might be for the third tall forward and not the second tall forward if Williams goes OK as a forward ruck. And they've also got the kid from Victoria, Ryan Marrick, who showed quite a bit after being taken in the mid-season rookie draft. So he looms as a, as a potential threat to Darling's position as well. I'm not saying that Darling will be out of the team, but... I think Darling's position is not as safe this year as it has been in previous years. And the value on experience, though, um, you can go young and get games into them, but is it too costly not to have the experience out there? Um, it's a good question, Bryce. And um, and I guess it probably depends a lot on guys like Jamie Cripps, who will also be in attack and is a very experienced player. Obviously, the fact that Liam Ryan won't be there in the early going might help Darling because he will be he would have been another experienced body. Um, Oscar Allen, I think, while he's young, he is a captain, he is a leader, so they would count him as an experienced player, even though he's, it's, it's youthful experience. Um, so, yeah, they may look at it that way. Jackson, he's an interesting bloke. He, he, he trains very well, he prepares very well, he's very professional with that. Whether or not he's the sort of guy that leads with voice and that sort of thing on the field. I'm not sure that he is. He perhaps keeps to himself a little bit. He, he strikes me as being a little bit introverted in that regard. So um, he may not bring as much of that to the table as you think. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I, I've always said to Eagles fans, you say, oh, they should drop Jack Darling. Well, I sort of say to them, well, second forwards that are as good as Jack Darling don't grow on trees. Yeah. But... Their different structure this year, I reckon, may pose a different challenge to him. And and don't forget, he turns 32 in April or May. And the other thing about Jack Darling is that he's 191 centimetres tall, which is um, small for a tall forward in AFL ranks now. And and as he gets less athletically dynamic, Jack Darling getting kicks against AFL defenders is going to get harder and harder. So, yeah, watch this space on that one, I reckon. Yep. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate your insights. We'll speak again soon. Mark Duffield joining us there all the way over in the West.